Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Independence Day, released in 1996, is on a continuum of huge 90s spectacle action movies, and uh, one that is kind of uh, right at the peak there, alongside things like Jurassic Park and Terminator 2. Um, This is a movie you would pull out to show off a big screen TV, but more than just kind of a big dumb action spectacle, uh, it is unique in that it is such an ensemble piece. And I'm really excited to go back and revisit this one. It's been a long time since I watched it, but like the uh, like the giant alien ships, this film really loomed large in the summer of 1996. So um, let's get into it. I, I'm not doing this alone. I have a co-pilot with me. Uh, he is just uh, a friend of mine who is uh, just super into this movie. So uh, it's uh, kind of just a perfect marriage of person and subject. Uh, welcome to the show, Matt Powers. Thank you so much. Thanks, Doug. And just uh, for my lifelong dream of becoming a podcast guest, this is, I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what we're all about is making dreams come true. No, I know. And I'm really excited to talk about this movie because it does hold a special place in my heart. Um, regardless of, like you said, the quality of the movie, which is um, <laughs> questionable, I think, on rewatch as a 37-year-old adult, it is... A movie I really care about and had a had a big part in my childhood. So yeah, let, let's get into that because I want to hear about you know I, I kind of approached you and said, oh, what would you want to talk about? And you were like, yeah, Independence Day. Yeah. So why why this movie? What, why was it that this yeah. loomed large I, in your childhood? I, I think it's because it's the first adult movie I ever saw, and it was such a phenomenon um, at the time. It was a big deal, even for ten year old me. I was ten when this movie came out. Um, this was probably in the transition from, oh, I watched Nickelodeon and I watched Disney movies and Mighty Ducks and all the like kid stuff to like, oh, I am now a consumer of adult uh, entertainment and content. And I think this was the absolute transition point because that's when I start to um, to, yeah, to to get into more adult things and feel comfortable with that. I mean, I specifically remember I went to the this movie with my parents. Uh, we were I was ten years old, like I said, and my uh, dad had to take me out of the theater. I don't remember if it was because I was flipping out once when they blew up the Empire State Building, or if he could just see that I was like tense and like so nervous. But yeah, he, we left the theater for ten minutes, skipped the whole um, the whole destruction scene, and then came back and. Even with that, I still 
this movie stayed with me and i remember a few months later i was at a sleepover with with some friends and that the movie was on and i was like it was like a big moment for me i'm like i'm gonna sit through this whole thing i'm gonna sit through this destruction scene i'm gonna to feel like an adult and yeah this was just the time in my life when um all of that was happening so this movie i think was the like that kind of pivot point in this one aspect of my kind of childhood turning into i guess you know adolescence yeah i mean this was very much uh, you know kind of a, a tr- traditional summer blockbuster yeah. event movie yeah um in a way that kind of really only marvel does now mm-hmm. um and even then like we get like three of those a year yeah um this was just like you know you movie studios would try to dominate a summer uh, weekend, especially after something like Jurassic Park. And so I was trying to rack my brain. Like, I don't have any specific memories of it. I'm sure we saw it at a theater near here called Big Newport, which was at the time was like one of the biggest screens you could see anything on on the West Coast that mm-hmm. wasn't an IMAX yeah. screen because that wasn't really a thing yet. Yeah. Um, so I remember we went out of our way to see it there. Mm-hmm. I remember being you know really impressed by all the visuals and stuff. And like I was fine with the story, but like this is a movie that like you don't get Michael Bay without movies like this. Uh, and this is directed by Roland Emmerich. And I feel like Roland Emmerich for this movie at least, maybe not so much as some of his later stuff, but like this one, he knows how to go right up to the line before, like, so it's really excessive, but almost like the amount of excessive you like before it gets like, okay, you know, now it's just transform giant transformer robots punching each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this this worked for me. I'm a, I've always been kind of a, a fond of Jeff Goldblum, especially again shortly after Jurassic Park. Like, I was you know really excited to see him in something. And uh, yeah, just sort of enjoying the that mm-hmm. way this film hops around from character to character, uh, and as they all have their own unique stories. So it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of it's still a unique kind of blockbuster in that way. Yeah, I mean, you call it an ensemble piece, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, and you, I, I don't think if unless you're really thinking about it and like kind of watching it closely, you don't you don't think about it that way only because Will Smith is such a massive star coming out of this movie. But he actually, if you like really watch this movie, he's not the like soul. I'm a hundred percent. I'm Vin Diesel in the fast movies or whatever. I am like the star. I'm Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. This really is a, a, you know, a five or six part story that is kind of told across all of these different perspectives. And Will Smith is just one of those. I mean, he's the most charismatic of them. Um, but yeah, it's it's just one aspect of this. Yeah, Will Smith is in this movie a lot less than I remember. Yeah, a hundred percent. We, I mean, here we are now. We're you know we're in you know year twenty four yeah. of the millennium, yeah. and like I think of Will Smith like this being his breakout role, even mm-hmm. though obviously he was a star from his own music career and from Fresh Prince mm-hmm. and stuff like that. This is when he sort of really hit yeah. the next level of his career. And in a way that, like, this almost feels like the audition for Men in Black. Yeah. Uh, which I also really like and would be down to do an episode on. Yeah. But, like, th- this movie was the kind of thing where, like, ev- that's what everyone talked about was Will Smith, Smith yeah. in it. And, yeah, you're right. He is, like, the most charismatic person in the ensemble yeah. because he's all usually the most charismatic person in any movie he's in. Like, he just yeah. uses that charisma naturally. Yeah, he... He absolutely makes this movie. I mean, Jeff Goldblum is, a, I think, a clear 1B as far as, like, what makes this movie great. But without Will Smith, I don't know that this 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 movie could, could hold up. Because, I mean, you said it earlier with Roland Emmerich. Um, he 
if you look at all the other movies he's done since Independence Day, it's mostly crap. Like he is not. It's like the, he's chasing this hot. Yeah, he, he's chasing the hot. I think he's trying to catch lightning in a bottle, like he did with Independence Day. He made a sequel. He did, you know, several other disaster movies that all just didn't work. Like the day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow, 2012, which I just looked it up and then came out in 2009 for some reason, because, you know, that makes sense. But yeah, um, White House Down, like a lot of really bad movies. And then every once in a while, he'll, he'll sprinkle in like an indie and try to do something else. But like, he's never really kind of reached that point, but he's still making movies 26, 27 years later because of this movie, because this was, you know, that kind of lightning in a bottle that he struck with it. Um, but yeah, I think without the grounding presence of of Will Smith, I don't know that this movie could could really work. Yeah, he's very lucky that he yeah. has a cast that's as Yo, good as Oh, great are. cast overall, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like really, really a bunch of heavy hitters in there. You've got yeah. Bill Pullman doing mm-hmm. a great job. You've got... Um, Harvey Firestein in a very yeah. funny role, Randy Quaid, yeah, in sort of a preview of what he would become in real life. life. Yeah, uh, but yeah. all these really great actors, and like you picture like a bunch of like other actors or no name actors in those roles, yeah. and like the the batting average of the movie drops precipitously. Yeah. Like, you need yeah. people like this to be able yeah. to make this work at all. Yeah, and like I think yeah, I and mean, I, I was taking notes on a few aspects, and I was just like noticing in the cast i mean you have uh the secretary of defense i can't james rebhorn or something yeah. like that who was robert loja vivica fox is great in this movie um and i think this kind of made her a quasi star as well like and then you even have some people in like less in more thankless roles like uh, mary mcdonald who's a great actress playing uh the, the president lady. the first lady who doesn't get a ton to do but still you know, bring something to her scenes. Um, she gets to play the president yeah. later in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that is true. Oh, yes, 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 that there is true. Go. Yeah, I mean, and she, yeah, she's great. I mean, even even like lower lower down the the rung as far as something, someone like Brent Spiner playing an, a hilarious part um, as that kind of Area Fifty One scientist, and even like an Adam Baldwin who is just kind of there, but is you know has gone on to do stuff and is you know is known. So, um, yeah, great cast. Uh, very much an ensemble, but yeah, I think Will Smith comes comes out of it as this huge megastar because, you know, this is the perfect pairing of, you know, a star who couldn't be contained and a big movie, like probably his first big tentpole movie after um, the one with Martin Lawrence that I can't remember the, the name of at the moment. Oh, Bad Boys. Uh, Bad Boys, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those were some of my biggest takeaways was was the cast um, and, and how great it was. Well, let's uh, let's get yeah. into it because this is a long movie. It's actually mm. two and a half hours. Yeah, and it, this is gonna. We were talking about this off mic. Like it's gonna buck the usual movie recap format that yeah. we, we usually do for movie episodes because not, not only do you have this ensemble cast, but as you watch the movie, it's cutting around constantly between yeah. them, which makes doing a scene by scene uh, a little uh, tricky. So we'll we'll sort of do the movie in chunks. So we get this opening. We get, you know we're definitely in like '90s action territory yeah. as like the letters come on the screen yeah. and they fly yeah, apart. Yeah, and it's got very cool sound effects there. Yeah, yeah, super '90s of this. Um, and so we get this shot of the flag, uh, American flag on the moon, uh, and like the moon. There's like a moon quake, mm-hmm. and then a shadow goes overhead, which I interpreted as I guess these aliens have been hiding beneath the surface of the moon. I, I took it as they were kind of hiding behind the moon as like a as that was the barrier to keep them from being detected that was one of the many things i'm like this doesn't really make sense how could how would no one have detected this 300 mile wide spaceship 
Um, I mean, maybe they the were end of yeah, the moon, moon be ready. Yeah, exactly. You think we would have we would have seen this in 1969 if we had gone there? I, yeah, I took it more as they they were kind of coming in behind and just kind of using that to kind of avoid detection from telescopes and, and radar and, and whatever else. But yeah. either way, yeah, they they they're hidden and then all of a sudden they're here. Yeah, and we're hit with immediately this series of uh, scenes of first contact. Yeah, where, you know, I mean, see the film Contact or yeah. other films like this, where you know we got people at SETI and radio telescopes, mm-hmm. and they're everybody's calling everybody else, and you know, it's, it's literally a bunch of like get so and so on the phone <laughs> yeah. for a few minutes mm-hmm. of this as people start to realize there's this signal coming. Um, the source is you know an extraterrestrial signal. Actually, it's from it's not from far away. It's from the moon. Mm-hmm. It's up yeah. close. And uh, finally, we uh, sort of get to this uh, image of the craft, the kind of fuzzy image of it, and we're told its mass is a quarter the mass of the moon. Yeah. Which is pretty it's fucking big. big, yeah. Uh, and it's slowing down. Yes. Um, so, like, I, I like this opening in that, like, they really hit the ground running of, like, okay, we're in panic mode already. This is, yeah. you know, because I can't remember if this came out before Contact or after it, but, like, we've seen scenes like this in movies yeah. before. But I think it's a good version of this scene. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. And I, I think it is kind of a blending of, of, of genres a little bit with this movie. Uh, I mean, obviously, it is a sci-fi movie. It is an action movie. But they try to bring a little bit of that kind of suspense uh, into it with this kind of ominous first five, ten minutes of the movie where where you kind of like the 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 score really hits at home and you can kind of feel this like foreboding coming in um but yeah they don't mess around like they they're this is a two and a half hour movie and they they get to it pretty fast so um all things considered i i think the first half hour and the last half hour are probably the best parts of this movie but um i think part of what makes it effective is you can kind of get you, you can kind of uh, associate with really anyone even the president's like what is going on like there's just a lot of scrambling going on and that kind of checks with how i would react if if a 300 mile spaceship all of a sudden came out of the sky yeah and we start getting the debate already of like well are they here are they friendly are they not friendly uh and of course we know know, from any promotional material you might have seen this is you know this is an updated war of the world yeah Yeah. so uh you know this is not going to go well yeah um but like Say War of the Worlds is a good example. That's one of my actually one of my all time favorite books. Um, starts off very slowly as like the first aliens appear and people yeah. approach them kind of tentatively. This kind of just leaps into it. Of yeah. like, we know. Yeah. We know this is bad. We just yeah. need to get to it. And in fact, the entire movie unfolds only over, over three days. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's called Independence Day. There's a, there's a lot of simplicity to this. This There are three days. It's a three-act movie. They they really kind of keep things contained for, for the audience. And um, yeah, that first day is, is really kind of just setting up, you know, very quickly uh, how this is happening. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I was reading about it a little bit. Um, I think when they had this idea for a movie, um, Roland Emmerich and his um, collaborators were like, you never see an alien movie where they just come out and attack and it's a giant sp- spaceship. They're not hiding in spores or they're not kind of you know, being uh, any sort of um, they're, they're not trying to to kind of, you know, hide or be, be sneaky. They're just right boom in your face. And I think that's where the, the idea for the movie kind of really, really hit for them. Yeah, I saw that too, where they were kind of responding to this idea of like the X-Files and stuff. Where it's like, yeah. Why would they come, you know, trillions of miles Nils. to just kind of like 
sneak around yeah. and not be it's like no what if they just came in and immediately like we're fucking here, here. and again like that that gives you the scale of it yeah. right? like each of the, even the smaller ships are like 15 yeah. miles wide mm-hmm. so um we get our first character introduction this is to bill pullman as president whitmore and they're letting us know that like he's a gulf war pilot which means it's only been like you know, five, five years, years. yeah so he yeah gulf war pilot to president of the united states in five years pretty quick rise and, but also that like he they expected him to be tougher than he is that his like he's sagging in the polls he's kind of seen as wimpy yeah which definitely is like that wimp was kind of a thing that got attached to Bush senior yeah even though he was also a war hero mm-hmm. and, I mean I have a lot of criticism criticisms of him I never thought that was a valid one that he was wimpy yeah um, that was that seemed odd to me um, but yeah so this is where we meet McLaugh uh, meet uh, sorry Whitmore. And um, someone else said, oh, he's showing his age, which is funny to think that, like, you know, we're, we're now dealing with presidents in their 70s, 70s and 80s. And 80s yeah. But, oh, yeah, yeah. He is. Yeah, he's he's too young to be president. And, like, I think, you know, most of the country right now would be like, oh, get, yeah, give me a 45-year-old president. That would, that sounds great. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it it is, you know, a, a little character beat. It, it pays off later when he obviously he becomes this kind of war president for three days and, uh, you know, eventually, you know, flies a, a fighter pilot himself or a fighter plane himself. But um, but the idea of him just kind of being fed up with it, um, you can kind of tell he's like um, his, his, his aide, um, J- uh, Jeff Goldblum's ex-wife, uh, yeah, comes in and says, you know, the press secretary, the press secretary is, you know, is c- complaining about the press coverage. And he's just like, oh, whatever, you know, um, like he he, he just kind of seems resigned to his fate. And, and in a way, I think this alien invasion kind of invigorates him and, and like brings the best out of this character who, you know, I it seems like based on just his character arc is better as a war hero and as a soldier than as maybe a kind of president in normal times trying to, to you know, to pass a crime bill. Right. And uh, so we go from uh, there. We, we, you know, we, see, we notice there's like, they show you like satellites crashing yeah. into the ships and stuff, but yeah. we're, we're moving on to Jeff Goldblum in the park playing yeah. chess with his dad, played by Judd Hirsch. Mm-hmm. Another great bit of casting. Uh, yeah. A solid actor. So what are you waiting? Hmm? My social security will expire. You'll still be sitting there. I'm thinking. Yeah, well, think already. Hey, do you have any idea how long it takes for those cups to decompose? If you don't move soon, I'm going to start to decompose. Ah. Listen, David, I've been meaning to talk with you. It's nice that you see me so much now, but... Don't, don't start, Dan. I'm only saying it's been, what, four years? You're still wearing a wedding band? Three years. All right, three, four, you're divorced. Come on, move on. This is not healthy. No, this is not healthy. The smoking is, is not healthy. Checkmate. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this, is, not, this is not checkmate. See you tomorrow, Paul. No, no, just hold on. This is not checkmate. And uh, they're, they're, we established they like playing chess, uh, and that David has not taken off his wedding ring even after three years. And as you mentioned, we'll yeah. find out later that his ex is the secretary of yeah. press. Um, and that's it. And he's off to go to uh, his job, which is some sort of like he works at like a broadcasting 
cable news network or something? something like that yeah something with satellites and signals He's and like his, his dad at some point jokes about him being a cable repairman so something to do with cable TV, but we don't know exactly what, but he's smart. And they, they established that early on. He went to MIT and right, all of that. Yeah. Qualified for yeah. His job. yeah. Um, but he likes it. But yeah, so he's off. Uh, we're getting more frantic calls. David, uh, that's Jeff Goldblum's character, bikes in and he's confronted by his uh, colleague, Harvey Firestein. Um, basically, a, you know, very similar to his role in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. He's coming in to be Harvey Firestein. Yeah. Um, and there he's trying to tell them yeah. the satellites aren't working. For yeah. some reason, that's their first inkling that something mm. is wrong. Yeah, and it's unclear at this time. Jeff Goldblum seems pretty calm, and he's like, "Oh, there's the satellite issue." If he knows that um, that there's something weird going on with with the aliens coming in, because it seems like they don't know yet, but then all of a sudden they do know. So it is kind of unclear about the timeline of like when Jeff Goldblum actually finds out that oh, there's a flying saucer, you know, floating through through space, but. But either way, yeah, I mean, he, he's on it and it's kind of like goes into his, you know, um, detective mode to try to figure out what's going on beneath the, 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 the surface with these satellites. Yeah. And the film really wears its sci-fi inspiration on its sleeve. Yeah. I started to notice like, oh, they're really like making very clear references to other yeah. sci-fi movies. And here they get a very explicit one because you see what they're broadcasting or trying to broadcast is uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, yeah. A classic 50s sci-fi movie about... Uh, not an alien invasion, but like a threatened invasion, mm-hmm. uh, and which on this TV that's being watched by this group of kids that are we find out later are Randy Quaid's mm-hmm. kids, as they are trying, they realize their dad, who is a uh, crop duster, that's mm-hmm. what he does, uh, has crop dusted the wrong <laughs> field. Yes, because uh, he's flying drunk in a biplane. Yes, and I heard that at some point there was uh, they, they might have even shot some of this. The idea was that he was going to fly that biplane in the yeah. climax of the movie. Yeah, but it didn't work. It was like too yeah. stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they know. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, that was one of the the, the tidbits that I was like really surprised by because yeah, instead of him, you know, bec- uh, kind of getting recruited because they needed pilots, he. Somehow, gets, like, rejected. yeah, gets rejected. Yeah, somehow gets a biplane, attaches a missile to it, and then flies it into to the to the spaceship. I get why they they pivoted away from that. I I don't think it would have worked. So I'm glad they went in the direction they did. But yeah, I think they had to go back and reshoot some of this because apparently it it did. That was like the one thing in the movie that didn't test well. Um, and yeah, I mean this character. I I mean I think, I mean as. As with a lot of these characters, they're you know they are tropes to some extent. But yeah, yeah, the the Vietnam vet who's who's struggling, who who's an alcoholic and can't get his life together, um, but loves his kids is you know is certainly one of them. But I I think Randy Quaid for all the you know the the the, the things in his in his personal life and and all of that does a great job with this role and I think it's perfect for him and his his persona so yeah and I think it I mean I don't know what his deal is like whether he like you know eventually fell into mental illness yeah Yeah. because you know this is before he did I mean like Kingpin is a great movie movie, yeah awesome in that yeah you know when he was cogent or whatever he was making great stuff and this is sort of like you know we find out about him that he claims to have been abducted by yeah, aliens yeah. and probed and you know violated whether that's true or not the mm-hmm. movie never really establishes they make it clear that the aliens have been doing some the, recon yeah. on earth but it's not clear why they would do that They're yeah why yeah why Randy Quaid's y- orifices but. yeah i know like maybe to find out how easily killed humans are but yeah i mean i have no reason to assume it was fake just given 
that these aliens are real. Obviously, if someone were to, you know, walk up to me and say I was abducted by aliens, I'd be like, uh, no, you weren't. You're stupid. But, um, you know, given this movie, I think you're we're led to believe that he was violated, was I mean, maybe not you know sexually violated, but at the very least abducted. And that may have been one of the causes of, you know, his kind of careening alcoholism. Yeah. You know, this was back in that period in the 90s where it was really fun to think, what if these classic conspiracy theories were were true? true. Yeah. Now that's not funny anymore because too many people believe this shit. Yeah. Um, But here it's fun. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, the Roswell thing really happened. Okay. He's really alien. So so now we get to more, you know, the government folks running around. We meet, you know, James Rebhorn. Uh, who's the Secretary of Defense, and Robert Loja, who I think is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or, or, or he, they call him General. He is, you know, a very high-up general, certainly. Yeah, high-ranking military guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to figure out what should we do. Um, Whitmore says, well, we'll take things to uh, DEFCON 3. We find out that there's dozens of these craft that are each 15 miles wide. They're going to be in the atmosphere within 25 minutes, and they start to then appear around the world. Yeah. Uh, so we get they, they they do this kind of like around the world type shots. Yeah. So we get the sense of like, oh, hey, here's one in yeah. Tokyo or wherever they are, you know, mm-hmm. all around the, the world. Yeah. And this is a very America focused movie. Like, I mean, all the the action is happening in America. All the characters are American. But yeah, they every once in a while, maybe two or three times during the movie, they kind of pan across to Russia and to Japan and to, to some places in the Middle East and Africa just to kind of show you the global scale of it. And yeah, I mean, it's a very cool scene because once again, this is still that ominous for Voting kind of suspense part of the movie before they get into to the action um, elements of it that kind of you know hit home in in the in on July third and July fourth. Yeah, um, this is when we start. You know, we kind of move from like what is this threat? You know, what's yeah. going on to now? Like, oh, can we learn a little more about yeah. it? Yeah. So we have planes that try to like get a visual on mm-hmm. it because right now they're just in this like atmospheric fireball. Yeah. So like they fly into the fireball uh. and like crash into it. Yeah. I don't know why they decided that was a good idea, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think they're also trying to up the death toll a little bit um, before they get to, you know, destroying, you know, every major city in the world. So um, just to get a little bit of sense of stakes before you get too far into the movie. But, um, but yeah, they're, they have no idea what's going on. The, the president, I mean, you're probably, going to get to this you know yeah, he, doesn't he, he doesn't want to leave which you know is a is a brave move and and you know and show some restraint but they also decide to not evacuate the cities which um or or at least not you know do a mandatory evacuation of these cities which in retrospect turns out to be a bad idea but at the same time he doesn't want to cause panic and um i, I never yeah. get this one the, yeah. we don't want to cause a panic, panic. it's like we're past gonna, that. yeah we're gonna There's panic 15 mile yeah mile, 15 mile wide alien yeah. ship hanging above new york city people yeah. are gonna notice no, yeah and freak out well, yeah. no matter what the president says on tv yeah the, the president staying is you know is a level of bravery i i, I don't think that the real president in the real life should do this because it is more important that that person is alive and not blown up in a um in the white house but you know that makes sense in the context of the movie but the yeah you're right not evacuating the cities it just never makes any sense you you want your you want the government on the ground helping people to get out of these cities versus just chaos and they show a few shots of chaos in new york and in dc of just cars crashing and all of that um literally running around around, yeah like looting and, and you know carrying what they can and and all of that um, despite that, Jeff Goldblum was able to get out of the city, get out of New York and into D.C. Um, in, in record time. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think all things considered, this is just 
it's 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 a day of chaos. Um, there's just a lot going on, and um, and the, yeah, I think the president's decision is trying to 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 keep things calm and show a united front. But like, you can tell he has no idea what to do, no. and none of the generals do. No one does, and like, it makes sense. Like, there's no it, playbook. yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's absolutely no playbook for this unless. Um, you knew this was coming and only like one person in the movie um, would actually knew this was coming. Well, two, I guess, Randy Quaid and then the Secretary of Defense, um, which we'll find out later. Yeah, or they didn't even know this was coming. They just, yeah, they, they just knew it existed, yeah. Yeah, not mm-hmm. necessarily that they were about to invade He'd, kill everyone. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we get one more uh, visit with Randy Quaid at the bar. We kinda, mm-hmm. This is where he tells about his yeah. experience. Yeah. He's just getting made fun of oh, by yeah. the locals. So, we, you know, yeah. feel bad for him. So his redemption. Arc, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but then we get over to L.A. and we finally meet Will Smith for yeah, the first time. To, to your point, he's not yeah, in this movie. Minutes minutes into the movie. movie. I know he's not in this movie as much as you'd think. Um, and yeah, you, you just introduced him. It makes sense. He's asleep. It's three hours behind. All of this, I think, is happening early in the morning, um, East Coast time. So that makes sense. But yeah, you get the introduction to him. Um, and Vivica Fox and her, yeah, his girlfriend and her son, uh, Dylan. I don't believe it. Jasmine. Neighbors moving out. Guess they finally got tired of all these quakes. A little shaking, they running. Hey, babe, it's something on the news about the quake. What's up, man? What you been doing out there? Shooting aliens. Oh, you shooting aliens, right? Oh, you think you're tough. Huh? All right, well, what you got? Turn around. Turn around and sit down. Let's get you something to eat. Come on. Watch out, man. Watch it now. I'm going to go grab the paper. All right. Yeah, I mean it's it's played for comedy. I think they try to sprinkle in some comedy, and and Will Smith obviously you know sells it. Um, but yeah, they wake up, they they feel the shaking, they think it's an earthquake, right? And um and but they don't want to get up. The you know the they knows yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I'm going to shoot the aliens, right? Yeah. Right. He says something like that of like he must have looked out the window, window and, and seen, seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Although he weirdly does not say the most obvious thing, which is holy shit, shit dad, dude. aliens. Yeah. Um. But he yeah. Eventually, Will Smith walks out to get the newspaper. Yeah. And he's sort of looking at, and then Vivica A. Fox yeah. comes out and like, taps him on the shoulder yeah. or something. And, Everyone yeah, is yeah. looking out over the L.A. basin, seeing yeah. this thing hovering over downtown L.A. Yeah, no, and it's a very cool shot. I mean, I think overall that whole the whole entrance of those spaceships, you know, you see the shadows going up at the Empire State Building. You see it happening at the White House. And then you see this shot of the full spaceship, I think, for the first time over downtown L.A. And like th- that's where I think the special effects do do a lot of work. I think this is their best when they're kind of showing the scale and scope of of the the destruction and of of the kind of situation in general. Yeah, this is the most iconic 
like uh, cinematography in the movie. Yeah. All of the yeah the aliens hovering yeah. over national monuments. Mm-hmm. Um, the the shadows moving. Yeah. That this is like the again to go back to Jurassic Park, but like the water in the glass. Yeah. You know, it's it's something like that that you will remember. You know, mm-hmm. burns in your brain. Even all of the posters for the movie. Yeah. Are, it's always the 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 image of this thing hovering over the Empire State Building. Yeah. As it's blowing up. Um, but like yeah, the, the this is where I think they because after this. You've seen enough of these ships that it stops being as scary or yeah. as iconic. So this yeah. is, this is introduction is where they kind of use up all that cachet. Mm-hmm. And it works. Yeah, no, it works great. I mean, I think this movie brings back um, the disaster movies that I think that were really popular in the '70s and and maybe fell out of um, out of favor when you get something like. Um, the airplane movies kind of making fun of those disaster movies you get a lot of spoofs of them and then you know i think this movie is one of the things that really brings it back but takes it to a bigger scale because instead of oh and it's an airplane blowing up or anything like that it's just like oh this is the whole world being destroyed mm-hmm. and you mentioned it armageddon and some of those like disaster movies that come after that always try to ramp up the scale of the the destruction because they're trying to be like this movie oh there's there is no question that like yeah. half of what you see in armageddon is yeah. a great like name yeah. check owes a debt to this. Like yeah. you know, the, it has the same thing of like it's happening all around the, the world. world. Yeah. It's, yeah, every, yeah, it's exactly the same. And this movie definitely owes its roots to things like the towering inferno yeah. and yeah. the Poseidon adventure from yeah. the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it's a disaster movie. Um more than a sci fi movie. Yeah. Um so we get back to uh Jeff Goldblum uh, he's telling everybody they need to get the hell out because he's figured out what this mysterious mm-hmm. sig- radio signal is. Yeah, it's a countdown. Yeah, countdown to what? We don't know, but yeah. probably nothing good. Yeah, because every all these ships are <laughs> hovering over major mm-hmm. landmarks and you know population centers. So yeah, probably nothing good. Yeah, anywhere from ten to fifteen of these city-sized spacecraft. I know, man. Just try and stay calm. As to why the tell her to pack up and leave town. Why? What happened? Just do it! Oh, Ma, Ma, listen, uh, get your stuff together and uh, head for NS. Don't argue with me, just go! David, why did I just send my mother to Atlanta? David! David, talk to me! You hear me tell you that the signal hidden in the satellite feed is slowly recycling down to extinction? Not really. Countdown. countdown. We're gonna count down to what, David? Uh, it's like a chess. First, you strategically position your pieces. Then when the timing's right, you strike. See? They're positioning themselves all over the world, using this one signal to synchronize their efforts in approximately six hours. The signal's going to disappear, and the countdown's going to be over. And then what? Checkmate. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my god, I gotta call my brother. I better call my housekeeper. I gotta call my lawyer. Ah, forget my lawyer. Um, so he tells everybody to get out, and, and Har- I like these calls from Harvey. Every time I've seen. I gotta call my mom. Mm-hmm. Not I gotta call my every not my lawyer. I'm not calling him. Yeah. That was one of the biggest grown lines. But yeah, they they um yeah, this character I you know is is you know kind of serves at that as that foil for Jeff Globum early in the movie. And then get you know gets killed off soon after, but you know is is comic relief, great performance, all of that, um, and yeah, I mean I think overall Jeff Goldblum figuring this out and then not knowing exactly what to do, trying to call his ex-wife and that not working, you know it yeah, this gets is about it, where we learn that like yeah. oh his ex happens to, to be, be the press yeah. secretary. 
and this is the the new plan that he hatches is I got to get to DC, DC yeah. to tell them what I know because mm-hmm. I don't have any like this movie definitely changes after cell phones are invented although yeah. I'm sure you could probably just hand wave you know oh alien technology disabled yeah. all the cell phones yeah you know, but, oh yeah yeah but I mean yeah he tr- I mean he tries calling her um once she she's like oh you're just being paranoid and then he's just like all right I'm driving to DC I mean it's it is definitely very much a 90s movie I mean I think I think she does have a cell phone um I mean, he's using a laptop in the car, so there's some technology. But yeah, like this is not a point in society where we used, we're used to being able to get anyone at any time. Um, and yeah, like if this were happening today and cell phones were working, he would, he'd you know, he'd throw it on Twitter. He'd, he'd text it out to her. He would, you know, he'd he'd blow up her DMs or whatever, and you know, keep putting that out there until she like noticed and told the president. But you know, that's not the world that that this is happening in. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, the first of, of several events that brings this whole kind of disparate cast together eventually for the climax of the movie. Well, and that yeah. starts now because what's yeah. happening is we've got uh, Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch heading mm-hmm. towards DC mm-hmm. to join uh, yeah. Whitmore. Um, and you've got Will Smith saying you know, goodbye yeah. to Jasmine, uh, Vivica A. Fox, saying, you know, I got to report to El Toro. Uh, yeah. Marine base, which no longer exists, but yeah. that was a big like, oh, because that's you know a few yeah. miles from where we are, mm-hmm. um, and that was a huge air, uh, air force or um, marine base, which I just learned about like maybe a few months ago. It's like, oh, it's a giant park. What used to be here? Oh, it was <laughs> it makes sense. It was a military base. Yeah, yeah. but and um, it's that one, that's the yeah. one we're talking about. Yeah, um, which is why there's like those big hangars. And yeah, stuff yeah. Nearby. Uh, so that's where he's going. So people are now, you know, now we've got the lines on the map. They're going, yeah, they're going where they're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and this on the road, we, we get a lot of the pandemonium you're talking about. This is where we get David and uh, Je- uh, Julius, his father, mm-hmm. talking about how he's, uh, you know, again, overqualified for the job mm-hmm. he has. And um, we, we move through this. We get uh, somehow Randy Quaid has been arrested for dropping pamphlets oh yeah uh, oh yeah oh i think they didn't they say le- droplets or whatever he 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 cropped us did city hall or whatever yeah it says, it was yeah. Arrested for dropping pamphlets and then um i feel like i don't know if it's the anchors but someone's you know, people on the news are talking about him you know local weirdo yeah. russ case or something and that's when his friend from the bar is like I, he's but he was sexually molested yeah. by aliens um just you know bringing her him even lower yeah uh, poor guy um, and Russ's family now they want to leave. They yeah. want to get out of Dodge. Oh yeah, no. Um, and you know this is this they they don't have a a big role in the movie the, the the family, but I think they are they are an anchor for for this Russell Case character who becomes so important. Um, the older the older son who for fifteen years I thought was Keanu Reeves, but it is very much not Keanu Reeves. Um, yeah, he, yeah. He comes from the yeah, he's like uh, the Keanu Reeves body double. Body, body double, yeah. I mean Keanu Reeves was too big for uh to do that that part at this point. And then the two younger kids um from the oldest kid from Mrs. Doubtfire. Doubtfire, yeah. And then the younger kid who I don't know if ended up doing anything, but yeah, I mean I, I think um, they're they're about to go and then and then uh, Russell Case gets out of jail. Um, they're surprised, but you know he says, "Oh, they had bigger fish to fry," um, and and they're off. They're just kind of you know in a caravan driving away, and you know that becomes important later because that's another kind of element on the move. And as you know, all the kind of puzzle pieces start to to, to come together um, for for the climax. And yeah, I mean, I think I mean these early scenes with Russell Case are definitely. Um, 
you know, there, there, there's not a lot to them, but you're right. It does set up the redemption arc. And um, it's comic relief. Yeah. But I do think you need his kids it, there. Yeah. Because you, otherwise it'd be harder to root for him. Yeah. You want him to like get it together. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. If he, if he didn't have any kids, he'd be like, I guess he's just this weirdo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now it's like, no man, these kids depend on you. Like yeah. you need to do better. Yeah. And it's motivation for that. him to, uh, you know, eventually, you know, quit drinking or at the very least, you know, quit drinking for, for a few hours in order to save the world. And, uh, for him to kind of, he, he, he almost takes a leadership role. Um, I mean, we'll get to this later. I mean, he, he's at the head of the caravan. So like he obviously has some sort of respect in this community. Um, even if he is also the town drunk. Um, so, um, yeah, I think overall, this is this is all it seems at this point in the movie if you're watching for the first time you're like why are we doing this but you know it ends up paying off down the line yeah and now we get to a scene which yeah. is like the top gun locker room scene mm-hmm. with will smith we find out he's been meaning to propose to mm-hmm. a fox but he was thinking of breaking it off because the fact that she is an exotic dancer is weighing on his prospects somehow yeah, of getting into NASA. Right, he which, wants to be an astronaut. Yes, he's been. Oh. He gets the like rejection letter from NASA. Yeah, and this is another, um, you know, kind of could be a one note character, but the acting elevates it. Uh, you know, fighter pilot with a um, with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, you get that in you know Top Gun and so many other movies. But I mean, Will Smith elevates it. I mean, this is great. Anytime Will Smith is interacting with with someone it is it is great uh movie making and here harry connick jr is um amazing you know for for someone that's not you know a a full-time actor you know does an awesome job as his kind of uh, as his sidekick as his goose um and uh yeah i mean this is yeah he gets rejected from nasa you know they don't explain why and then harry connick jr is like um you're never gonna get into nasa if you marry a stripper um, and then, you know, cut to Vivica Fox in the strip club, which is another scene that is a little, you know, gratuitous. Also, also for, yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine NASA actually caring. Caring, yeah. Like, all. I mean, yeah, I don't think they would care one bit because, I mean, are we going to sully the reputation of NASA? No one, I couldn't tell you one, you know, NASA astronauts, you know, significant other in what they do. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no one would care about that yes. at all. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so the scene in the strip club is interesting only because. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see it's like no one's paying attention. To yeah. This. It's like, look, man, I, you know, you're, you might be attractive I mean, and naked, but yeah, alien I, vision. I can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have a couple of the regulars like kind of like just staring up at the news on the TV versus um, to the to the floor of the dance club. And it's like it begs the question why this is, you know, this, happening this, at all. I mean, this it's is there to set up her friend. friend yeah. Uh, who says, I'm going to go to this rooftop party yeah. and say hello to the aliens. Yeah. So. It's also a thread that doesn't really. Yeah, it, it it's just another like it's a way they're 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 kind of I don't know if they're trying to make a comment on you know our you know humanity's love of um of spectacle and all of that because you have these kind of Los Angelinos like partying on the rooftop of of a tower underneath the spaceship and you know they make a joke earlier of like um we're warning you not don't sh- shoot your firearms at the spaceship you might start an interstellar war that sort of thing so they're kind of you know once again kind of adding in little elements of comedy here and there and what becomes a very serious movie but yeah the whole thread with you know Vivica fox's um co-worker then going to this to this tower i mean none of this is needed but it also it kind of shows that this movie really is especially at first moving around to all these different kind of threads and characters yeah, and I think maybe this the thing about making her 
uh, a stripper is we're supposed to underestimate her yeah you know yeah uh, that she's you know obviously turns out to be very capable. yeah very heroic um yeah uh, so yeah, you yeah. Get that. I, I, but you're right about like those satirical elements of like please don't you know sh- hey yeah. South Central don't shoot your guns, guns at, the, yeah. at the spaceship. Uh, to me, like if you told me this movie took place in the same universe as the Grand Theft Auto video games, yeah. I'd yeah. buy it. Yeah, because like it's the same kind of satire of America, like the yeah. their approach to that. Yeah. Um, so okay, so now we're you know everyone's they've converged on Washington now. They're able to bust through the busy signal to the press secretary. They're literally yes. standing like just. Bu- Right on the other side of the White House lawn. Oh yeah, I mean, because it's very them. easy to very easy to just drive up to the to the White House. They make um, it look like they're real close. Like they yeah, peek out the window yeah. when they're there. Yeah. Like I've been to the, the yeah. White House. Like it's a. The, it's set it, back it, it, yeah, exactly. It, it was easier before 9-11 that you could go up to a gate like not that far away. But yeah, I mean, that they're very close. Far enough yeah, away. far enough away. Yeah, like she's able to kind of see them from, yeah, from from a window at the White House. You can triangulate her exact signal, which I think once again just shows Jeff Goldblum is like kind of a badass when it comes to, yeah. um, to, to technology. But yeah. And now we get this, um, we're still cutting around a lot, but we get this thing where they're going to try and make contact again yeah. in a way, with the flashing lights, which yeah. is like obvious Close Encounters mm-hmm. reference, which is great. Like we're going to literally do the bit from Close Encounters, Encounters yeah. instead of welcoming, welcoming us yeah. to the intergalactic community. They, of course, blow the blow shit, shit out up. of the helicopters. Yeah, that's another one. I mean, we can get into this later. The idea of um, the aliens are, you know, despite all their technology, are kind of dumb. Uh it's like, they're cocky. You, yeah, they're cocky, but it's also like you spend all this time, you sneak up, you you triangulate your ships around, you use the satellites to coordinate your signals. But 10 minutes before you're about to, you know, to blow up, you know, every major city in the world, you're going to just shoot down this harmless helicopter for no reason to, to, to yeah. Um, and that like immediately sets off that everyone, um, you know that these aliens do not have good intentions so yeah it's just one element that you i mean it comes up a few times that these aliens are they're cocky but they're also you know not the smartest yeah they i mean again kind of the obvious connection to war of the worlds where again those aliens look at human beings like yeah. ants yeah you know, like mm-hmm. they, they don't have to worry about did we yeah strategically blow anything we have yeah. these giant ships we've got force fields yeah. our tech is so advanced it's, that there's nothing they can do yeah. anyway yeah. Um, but this leads to you know the president finally going okay i guess we better evacuate yeah. and so should everyone else mm-hmm. hey see if you've got those pens that they give away dad what you just don't have a choice of that company you want I don't have time for this. Two minutes, Connie. Mr. President, Mr. President, uh, Julius Levinson, uh, David is I my son. I told you you wouldn't listen to this. No, you have to tell him that. David, tell him! Uh, I know why we have satellite disruption. All right, go ahead. Okay, uh... Let's say that you wanted to uh, coordinate with spaceships on different sides of the Earth. Couldn't send a direct signal, right? You're talking about line of sight. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Curve of the Earth prevents it. You'd need satellites to relay that signal in order to reach each ship. Well, I found a signal hidden inside our own satellite system. Excuse me, Mr. Preston. They're starting. They're using our own satellites against us. The clock is ticking. But it's too little too late because yeah. now we get into 
the destruction sequence. Again, we see that lady partying yeah. on the roof yeah. know, with all their signs and stuff, and this blue light bathes everybody and just kaboom. Yeah. Giant kabooms around the world. Yeah, and this is the biggest... Um, I mean, I, this is, I think, the most iconic part of the movie, aside from maybe a speech we'll get to later, but... Um, but yeah, the this destruction scene, even though I missed it the first time in the theater because I was so scared, um, there's a reason I was so scared. It is a harrowing experience of watching three cities just get absolutely annihilated. The the the, the work that they do, um, not even with CGI, with, with I think with models and stuff, miniatures, uh, miniatures stuff. and stuff, blowing that up, blowing up the White House, that was a big deal. Like that. That's not a thing you did in movies, you know, until this movie came out, blowing up the Empire State Building and just the like the this kind of careening fire blowing through building after building after building. It is um, it is an iconic scene. And I think, um, you know, reading about this, they, they did an ad in the Super Bowl where they were arguing, I think, with the, the studio of whether they should show. Um, the, the destruction of the White House and, uh, you know, they eventually did. And that's what got people interested in the movie because like, oh, I've never seen that before. I like I it kind of showed you that this movie was different than, than anything that had come before. it. Yeah, it is playing for keeps. Yeah. That way. Mm-hmm. I love some of the technical stuff I read that like so how they did some of this. They would create you know this model of yeah. New York or whatever. Yeah. And they would tilt it 90 degrees. And so they would set off explosions underneath it. So that's how the fire would oh, come wow. up towards the camera you get this fireball oh, that's cool coming at you mm-hmm. um, just a great little shot the other thing I'll mention about this this is um, <clears throat> the basis for one of my favorite uh, parodies in Futurama uh, where um, they have this which is a show that takes place 3,000 years in the future it's a yeah. cartoon um, but at that time they have something called Monument Beach <laughs> and they've moved all of Earth's like major monuments to this one beach so it's like the Leading Tower of Pisa yeah. not Rushmore like they're all there they said because aliens keep coming and blowing this shit up so many times <laughs> So let's just put it all in one place. place. So we'll just blow it up here and then we'll rebuild it. Yeah. Very, just kind of a funny bit. Yeah. Um, just to make things logistically easier. Yeah. So this is where we get like, you know, the hel- the president's helicopter or Air Force One yeah. barely outpacing yeah. the explosion. Um, just, you know, uh, Harvey Firestein saying, oh, crap, before being incinerated. Oh, crap. Ooh, wait, can't, I can't do the voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. Harvey well, Firestein's well, voice. Oh, yeah. God. While he's on the phone with his lawyer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is where we get uh, Jasmine's golden retriever barely escapes because we can't yeah. kill this dog. That yeah. would be a bridge too far. We yeah. can we can blow up half of the earth, but not not the puppy. Yeah, millions upon millions of people are dead. But yeah, I mean, there's no reason to to kill this dog. I mean, and the dog's only in the movie for the scene to you know, and it's a very you know, it's you know, absolutely schlocky, but you know, still, um, it's nice to see the dog survive. The fact that going inside that little uh, little tunnel thing saved um a vivica fox and her son and the dog is obviously absurd but um it's a good thing that they did because i mean one she's a great character and two she obviously plays an important role in kind of moving uh that kind of los angeles plot forward yep and now it's july 3rd july 3rd act Uh, two act two of the movie so everybody is wandering around kind of just you know trying to figure out what the fuck do we do now yeah uh, in the aftermath of this Mm -hmm. giant attack uh, so you get like yeah, like Jasmine wandering around the rubble. We get pilots getting instruction, and now they want to whoop ET's ass. You men will be the first wave in our counterattack. Our target is to the north, centered above what remains of downtown Los Angeles. Our Black Knight Squadron. Be scared, man. 
watching this movie for the first time in probably 15 years, I knew that was coming because that is ingrained in my in my brain along with so many of the beats of this movie. And then Will Smith lands, looks around, worried that the spaceship is, you know, going to come back uh, around and kill him. But then he sees that it's uh, on the ground. And this is where you get, you know, some of the most iconic Will Smith stuff, um, which we'll get it to. Yeah, he gets, you know. he gets a couple of one-liners here. But yeah. basically, he, he, op- he opens the hatch of the alien craft, which you could not pay me enough I mean, money to go near this yeah, thing. Yeah. But he, yeah, he opens it up. We just sort of see, like, tentacles writhing. Yeah. We, don't re- we don't get a good look at the aliens yeah. yet. But he punches it and delivers his... Most, probably the most famous line. line from this. Yeah. Welcome to Earth. Uh, ah! That's right! That's right! Get up! Get up! That's what you get! <laughs> Look at you! Ship all banged up! Who's the man? Huh? Who's the man? Wait till I get another plane! I'm lining all your friends up right beside you! Where you at, huh? Huh? Where you at? Welcome to Earth. That's what I call a close encounter. Yeah. But then he follows it up with like he pulls out a cigar. He's a mm-hmm. cigar smoker. That's a thing. And then he says, now that's what I call, call it. Close encounter. encounter. So it's almost as if they have yeah. like, we have two one-liners. Yeah. We don't know which one to use. Fuck it. We'll yeah, use we, we'll use both. I, yeah, apparently they, they they kind of let Will Smith cook a, a little bit here. Let him improv and then kind of piece together some of his best lines. Um, you know, welcome to Earth. Yeah, I, I do think is the most iconic, um, you know, single line in this movie. Um, and... Uh, at the time, I didn't know what close encounter to the third kind was I like that. I was just like that, that. That meant nothing to me until years later when I saw that movie. Um, but as a 10 year old, that meant nothing. I was just like, oh, Will Smith punched an alien. That's fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, great. Yeah. Great scene front to back. And um, and, you know, uh, and it, I think it's, you know, the first time we get a little bit of a victory against these, these aliens, even if it's a small one. This is, um, you know, the first time we see that they're maybe even a tiny bit vulnerable. Yeah, and this is the you know, the first crack in their armor, yeah. like you said. And, then, and in fact, the discovery of this alien will uh, pay more dividends mm-hmm. later, yeah. soon. Um, and so we, we're still cutting around. We, Jasmine's getting a truck to go rescue people. Russ is told that the craft is now leaving the Los Angeles area mm-hmm. and is coming towards where they are. They're moving mm-hmm. sort of east yeah. and north uh, into the American Southwest. So they need to stay yeah, on get, the move. Get the fuck out. Um, and now we go back to Air Force One where they're sort of debating what to do. There's a lot of debate over should we use nuclear weapons or no nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, David, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum is very concerned about the nu- use of nuclear weapons because, you know, if everybody starts launching them, there may not be an Earth left to inhabit. Uh, even yeah. if we win, I would say I'd lean on the side of fuck yeah, it. Kill yeah, first. I, I would. Yeah, I Worry think that's a risk. Yeah, I think that's a risk we're willing to take. But yeah, Jeff Goldblum has kind of been established as this, you know, at he least somewhat. Recycle. He's an environmentalist because he likes to recycle, which and, you know that that counted in the '90s, I guess. And um, yeah, no, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fun yeah, it's a funny scene. Uh, because you, eventually you get um, his dad Judd Hirsch coming in to defend him, to defend Jeff Goldblum, um, he and he, he, yeah, he saved all um, of you. You wouldn't be here for, without, you know, if not for my David, which is somewhat true. But also, they didn't really evacuate before the the helicopter got blown up. So, 
Um, but either way, um, and then he starts talking and babbling on about, you knew this was coming because of the, the aliens in Roswell. What was it called? What's it called? Area 51. Um, and, uh, you know, the president looks incredulous. Jeff Goldblum is embarrassed. And, and James Arbor yeah. says, actually, it's yeah. real. Yeah, it's real. We must launch. A delay now would be more costly than when you waited to evacuate the cities. No, no, you're not going to launch nuclear weapons. You're going to kill them and us at the same time. If we fire nukes and everybody else who's got them, you know what that means? Fallout. You're you're nuclear winter. It's the end of life as we know it. Do you hear what they're talking about? Don't even think about it. I don't have to go. It can't be allowed. Shut up, Captain. Get him out of here. Hey, hey, don't tell him to shut up. You'll all be dead now if it wasn't my David. None of you did anything to prevent this. There was nothing we could do. We were totally unprepared for this. Ah! Don't give me unprepared. Come on, Julius. It was what, in the 1950s or whatever, you, you had that uh, spaceship? Dad, no, Dad. Yeah, that thing that you found in New Mexico. Dad. What was that? Not, not, not the spaceship. Was that Roswell? Roswell, New Mexico, yeah. No, you had the spaceship and you had the bodies. They were all locked up in a, in a bunker. <laughs> Where was that? David. I don't know. A- Area 51, right? Area 51. You knew then. And you did nothing. Sir, regardless of what you may have read in the tabloids, there have never been any spacecraft recovered by our government. Take my word for it. There's no Area 51. (laughs) There's no recovered spaceship. Uh, Excuse me, Mr. President. That's not entirely accurate. What? Which part? I mean, he he is like, you know, James Secretary of Defense James Rebhorn is Rebhorn is, you know, over a million in this movie. Everything he says and does is totally wrong, which is, you know, the point of the character. But yeah, yeah I think you think you'd mention that to um, at some uh, point, to, point yeah. to the president after the aliens come, even if it was classified beforehand, you know, seems relevant. Yeah. And this um, is the proof, by the way, yeah. that aliens are not real or at least haven't visited Earth in real life, because. Do you think someone walked up to Donald Trump, told him that yeah. the aliens were real, and yeah. he kept his mouth shut about it? Yeah. No fucking way. Um, anyway, <laughs> if, you, if you don't know who James Rebhorn is, the second you see his face, yeah. you go, oh, that guy's in everything. But um, to give you an example, on it, so he's been on this podcast before because we did My Cousin Vinny. Oh, yeah. And he's the like uh, tire automobile expert oh, yes. who Marissa Tomei then dismantles yeah. when she takes the stand. That's James Rebhorn. Yeah. yeah, he's the lawyer in the finale of Seinfeld that's like prosecuting Jerry and, and the gang like yeah i was like he's so familiar probably mostly from this movie but yeah you've seen him in probably 10 things oh he's yeah he's everywhere he's been a million million things uh, so is Robert Loggia. Yeah. Uh, he's been around forever, too. And I'm trying to think of like some of his bigger things. I think he was even big. I mean, like, yeah, once oh, he, yeah, right. he's, he's the guy a, who owns the, the toy the business toys, yeah. in Big. That's yeah, but, big. like, once again, an actor that I 95% know from this movie, but is it's great in this as a kind of grizzled general, um, yeah, either chairman of the Joint Chiefs or whatever his role is, the kind of, yeah. Uh, with that kind of raspy voice, yeah. Um, yeah, he sounds like, like if this. a cigar could talk. Yes, like he, that's what <laughs> yeah. he sounds like. One hundred percent. And no, he's yeah, he's great. I mean, that the whole gang together on Air Force One arguing is you know, it's it's a great scene. Um, yeah, Jeff Goldblum in general is um, is phenomenal in this movie, and yeah, he's uh, playing a, a more like grounded version, version of, of like Ian Malcolm. Malcolm like, yeah, he's not so you know, cocky. He, and, like, he's, this oh is, yeah, this is literally like about the halfway point between his characters in Jurassic Park and The Fly. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, we get a shot of uh, Jasmine uh, driving her truck around. She finds the first lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get back to Will Smith dragging this alien yeah, through the desert. Yeah. Why he decided to do this is not entirely clear. Like, I got to keep this alien corpse with me. Yeah. I um, I, I mean, uh, for a long time, I, I, I had the same thought. I'm like, this is, you know, it's 110 degrees in the desert and you're dragging this alien through in your parachute. But I think his sense of, of duty said this this corpse is valuable or this living alien or whatever it is whether he thought it was alive or dead is is valuable and i need to to do something with it i mean probably should have just left it found someone and you know gone gone back to get it but either way like yeah um very important that he that he has this alien because it you know once again it that's his ticket into area 51 right because he now runs into russ and the caravan yeah and he basically says hey you know there's there is a military base near here because i saw it when i was in the middle of my dog fight Mm -hmm. even though it's not on any map which means they are near area 51 Mm -hmm. and now everyone is converging on area 51 Mm -hmm. um so we get to the president and company arriving there and we meet adam baldwin who's some kind of military dude yeah um best known probably he's the military dude on chuck on chuck great show um yeah, uh, another another actor, not a Baldwin brother, but um, a no, recognizable yeah, face. Un- he, yeah, yeah, unofficial. Yeah, the the yeah, he's probably the second most famous Baldwin, but is not related to to the to the rest of the clan. But yeah, it was was on Chuck. Is is good in this as well. He just kind of has that kind of permanent scowl. He also it, has a face that like is the yeah. shape of home plate, and yeah. like you put that with a flat top. And yeah, like, yeah, that's a military. oh yeah, that's a military guy. And yeah, like his actual job is unclear throughout this movie, um, but like which which I found funny as kind of rewatching this because he ends up doing six different things, um, but it's just kind of the stand-in for like Area Fifty One guy. Yeah, and so he's bringing everybody yeah. in. Whitmore is now griping about why wasn't I told no, about that, this? Yeah, because of plausible deniability. Really, uh, and we meet Doctor Brent. Oak, or sorry, Dr. Oaken, played by Brent Spiner. She's a beaut, ain't she? As you can see from the repairs, we've been trying to put her back together since the late 1960s. Don't tell me you've had this for 40 years and you don't know anything about him. Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. We know tons about him. But, but the neatest stuff... The neatest stuff has only happened in the last few days. See, we can't duplicate their type of power, so we've never been able to experiment. But since these guys started showing up, all the little gizmos inside turned on. (laughs) The last 24 hours have been really exciting. Exciting? People are dying out there. I don't think exciting is a word I'd choose to describe it. You guys are hoping to fly this thing, huh? You said you can repair their technology. Can you tell us anything useful about them? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, I mean, they're not all that dissimilar from us. Breathes oxygen, comparable tolerances to heat, cold. Probably why they're interested in our planet. Hey. Hey. You guys want to see them? Who's data on Star, Star Trek, Trek the Next yeah. Generation. And I can't believe that when I saw this movie, I didn't immediately go, hey, oh, look, it's data. Yeah. Um, because I loved Star Trek the Next Generation, like a foundational yeah. show for me. Yeah. But I think that tells you how good he is yeah. as data, yeah. that like it just did not register without the gray makeup I, and the yellow yeah, eyes. Yeah, I would just say, like, totally, incredibly different look. I'm, uh, yeah, as someone who. Yeah, that's like a yeah, human. Yeah, I mean, who loves Star Trek First Contact and, you know. Um, I didn't make that connection till later either. I mean, the voice is very recognizable once you know, but yeah, 
white beard scraggly versus this kind of you know um semi-robotic humanoid with you know clean shaven and all that you know you don't make that connection right away but he playing two totally different characters brings a sense of kind of humor and um and uh and also kind of competence to this. You know, he he seems like a little bit of a wackadoo, but he is um, he very is, smart. He is knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah. He sort of, they make it clear that he's a wackadoo because I guess yeah. these guys don't get out much. Much, yeah. Um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but we learn from him, of course, that they have been uh, studying the craft that crashed in Roswell and the creatures that were inside of it, mm -hmm. which the thing is, it's one of these alien jet fighters is what yeah. it is. And it's... Um, I like this because it's like they. It is a spin on the classic uh, flying saucer design. Yeah, but it feels modernized yeah. and unique. Yeah, and the aliens too are kind of yeah that yeah, the little green men, but they they are little green men, but they're also in these kind of seven foot tall kind of cryogenic suits or whatever that yeah those like mech suits they're, yeah they're like biological sort of live, yeah it seems like they kind of they like permanently live in there I think. But they can escape if they need to. Um, yeah, it's, it, they don't really explain this, but yeah, there is the spaceship is cool. The aliens themselves, you know, they have the tentacles kind of flying around and all of that, and the, you know, they're they're scary. Yeah, that, yeah it's part of the suit. Yeah, the, yeah, the tentacles, which is why you need tentacles on the suit. I don't know, but um, but yeah, all of it is it adds to the atmosphere because. I mean, this is where the, the movie kind of almost pivots a little bit toward toward horror a little yeah. bit. And as it's kind of skipping around genres, but the, the, the aliens being that scary is 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 crucial to this. They're not just smart. They're not just they don't just have great technology. They they could kick the shit out of you, too. Yeah, they are physically. I mean, at least yeah. in the suits, so they're physically. physically yeah, but even out of the suits, they're so scary looking because they are yeah. a riff on the like classic gray alien yeah. design. Mm -hmm. But like they're yeah. like the. The aliens at the end of Close Encounter are that, but they are non-threatening, right? Yeah. They're meant to be like, you know, hey, you know, we, we welcome yeah. you to the intergalactic community. This, they, they are scarier. They're like sleeker. They're kind of shiny. Yeah. They, they look more like sea creatures. Yeah, you know, they a little have bit. big heads uh, and like silver eyes that are like reflective in a scary yeah. way. And they are, um, uh, they, we find out they don't have vocal cords and they communicate telepathically. Which will become important later. A little later. Yeah, not not long. Um, and they want David to try and crack the code of the ship's computers, yeah. the alien computer system, so that they can learn things from it or do yeah. something with it. It's yeah. a big ask. Yeah, yeah. You you figured out this one satellite problem. Now fix an alien spaceship. Yeah, learn a language from a computer. Like meanwhile, you're using Windows ninety five. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna take this. Yeah, off. yeah. I have to say, I don't even know if you have Wi-Fi at Area 51, so I don't know what you're gonna do there. Yeah, uh, yeah real, real primitive human technology is gonna take this on. But as we'll see, that is important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the R the RVs roll up. Uh, Will Smith does not have clearance, but yeah. he's got a big alien yeah. and a parachute, so they're gonna let him inside. Yeah. Fair. Can't, can't argue with that logic. Yeah. Um, so we find out from again the military brass that we're now down to 15 percent of our armed forces and they think that you know the, these aliens have now decimated the biggest cities on earth yeah. they're like moving to the second biggest yeah and they think that like it'll only take them about 36 hours to exterminate humanity which yeah. is they're still moving pretty slow i think it'll yeah. still take them longer than that but <laughs> yeah. you get the idea yeah they yeah i think the the flaw in their design is you have to be directly over their target to destroy it but it only shoots straight down but yeah i mean they are what's gonna stop them yeah i know exactly they yeah it gets to the to your point earlier about the, they're cocky they they don't 
they don't need more than this because they just have the power of their um, of their spacecraft and their lasers. And yeah, they're they're just kind of methodically destroying every city in um, in the world yeah. very fast. And I can't remember if it's here in the sequel, but we learn that they they this is what they do. They go yeah. like planet to planet and do yeah. this. So it, you know they they've done this before. Yeah. I think in the sequel they officially give them the name Harvesters. Is what oh they yeah, call them. they 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 do some retconning. I actually watched the sequel for the first time because I was like, all right, I'm in and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a completist and watch the you know the the, the sequel as well and resurgence resurgence and yeah they do some retconning because because here. They say this is their whole society. They go planet to planet and just use up the resources. And then in the the sequel, obviously, there's more aliens, and you know we don't have to get into it. But um, but the idea here is that yeah, they are um, they are going to destroy humanity and then you know take the planet and burn through all the the natural resources and then move on to the next one. So um, but yeah, they're they don't get we don't get a lot of background into their to their motivations. We kind of have to infer, but. It's basically they're bad. They want our planet, and they're gonna destroy us. And that's exactly again what yeah. the aliens do in War of the Worlds. That's yeah, their motive. So, yeah, uh, they're they're in uh, well trod territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to H. G. Wells, um, but I, I like this. You know, they um, well first we get this scene between Jasmine and the First Lady. You know, she's you know dying, uh, not mm-hmm. doing well. Uh, but now we get to the uh, alien uh, autopsy sort of there. They, oh, I love that they like they use this scalpel to open yeah, up that. The, oh yeah, and it's full of like organic, organic material, material and yeah. membranes. It reminds me a lot of like stuff from the Alien franchise, yeah. especially the first one, mm-hmm. where they do this stuff. Yeah, uh, and we see there's like the the alien inside, um, the big eyes. What and this is like this is a great like horror scene. Yeah, like the mm-hmm. the the hand of the thing starting to move as they're mm-hmm. operating on yeah. it. The alien wakes up. And then just tentacles flailing, yeah. fog, you know, screaming. Yeah, and then yeah, they the, the the few doctors try to run away. They're banging on the door. You know, classic horror scene. They all get wiped out. Then the um, then you know the president uh, Adam Baldwin, all all of all of the uh, the associated retinue um, come down and kind of you know to a to a different view of the lab and or to the operating room. And yeah, they're in like an observation. Yeah, and and that's where we get into. Um, Dr. Oaken with with the tentacles around his neck. I know there is much we can learn from each other if we can negotiate a truce. We can find a way to coexist. Can there be a peace between us? What is it you want us to do? Locus. 
They're moving from planet to planet. Their whole civilization. After they've consumed every natural resource, they move on. And we're next. Right. And so yeah. the alien is now speaking through mm-hmm. Dr. Oaken. And for the last, you know, Whitmore tries to say, like, hey, we could work together. Could yeah. we, we could have peace. You don't mm-hmm. have to murder mm-hmm. us all. And they're basically, the alien's like, no. No, 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 thank you. <laughs> we're not interested. We're going to kill you. What do you want us to do? We yeah. Die. Yeah. So, yeah, once again, not, not this doesn't really interrogate, you know, the kind of any anything deeper about, you know, the possibility of 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 alien life or anything like that. It's just they want to kill us. We have to stop them. The very simple premise, you know, you said like in War of the Worlds, there is um, probably even less to it than that. But at the same time, that's I think that's one of the great things about this movie is it's pure popcorn entertainment. And there, there isn't much deeper to it, but the the spectacle of it, the effects of it, the kind of plotting and the the jumping around of it, and the cast, kind of all of that. Just there's a reason this movie made a bajillion dollars because it is um, absolutely um, perfect summer entertainment. And there is no negotiation. Yeah, there's, there's no, no yeah. diplomatic solution. Yeah, this, exactly. This you know, you're, you're yeah. being told. We've signed your yeah. death warrant already. Yeah, the, the problem is dire, but it's simple. And then the solution is, you know, pretty simple, too. Um, you know, as we get into into uh, the climax of this movie. But, yeah, I mean, here you learn, you know, they, um, you know, President Whitmore gets, you know, a, you know, a view into the into the to the aliens mind. Basically, he says, yeah, their whole society, they go planet to planet. They destroy everything and then move on. And um, then, yeah, that's nuke the bastards is in another great line from from Bill Pullman, who is more understated than some of the rest of the cast. But, you know, does a great job with this uh, with this role. Um, Yeah. And then we get to the to the nukes. Yeah. Well, not quite. First, we get um, we get uh, Jeff Goldblum trying to reconnect with the press secretary for a bit. Um, And then we get Will Smith literally reconnecting Mm because he just commandeers a chopper. (laughs) Yeah. To go fly over Los Angeles and happens to find <clears throat> somewhere in the entire Los Angeles basin, he finds well, her. I think the idea is that she made it to to the base. She was going. Oh, she, she, was tra- she was going to El Toro. She was going to the base. I mean, he goes back there on the. I think the just the wing and a prayer that she is uh, alive, and she turns out to be. And um, yeah, it's fate. But yeah. I mean, you know, the, these are kind of minor scenes in the grand scheme of thing. But everything with Vivica Fox, it shows. You know. She's taking care of people. She's picking up survivors on the road. She's um, she's kind of the leader, and it kind of yeah, it shows um, that she has this level of of strength and competence that um, you you wouldn't expect from just um, you know this this ordinary person. Yeah, um, we do get a shot here of the stealth bombers. You mentioned yeah. trying to nuke the thing. It's yeah. just like the other missiles. Nothing happens. Yeah. It's, it's a bigger explosion. People have mm-hmm. to wait longer to find out it didn't do yeah, anything. Thing, but, but yeah, that's what happened. It's they destroyed nothing. Houston for nothing. But um, yep. Uh, and then we get to you know, the last uh, gasps of the first lady. Um, you know, she she dies, but at least she gets to reconnect with uh, with President Whitmore yeah. for one last conversation and gets to say you know goodbye to her daughter. Her daughter you know gets to hug her one last time. Played by uh, Mae Whitman, which I learned while IMDb-ing this movie, uh, who is, you know, famous now and in, in a bunch of stuff, was on Parenthood and various other things, plays the little, like, five-year-old uh, president's daughter, so. There you go. Yeah. Um, and now it is July 4th, uh, so we've moved on to Act, Act 3. three. 
and David is drinking and you know not sure what to do. Yeah. But his dad comes in and says, "Oh, you'll catch a cold," which fires David's imagination. Um, yet again, a War of the Worlds idea, by the way. Yeah. You know, the, the aliens all die from infectious disease in that yeah. story. Here we're going to use a computer virus. virus. Yeah. But, you know, again, not a solid yeah. connection. Yeah, like I was saying, yeah. A, a, an incredibly simple solution uh, to, to this kind of massive problem. Even the, the way he finds out about it, um, you know, it is, you know, absurd in some way but jeff Goldblum also sells it you know uh judd hirsch says you're gonna catch cold and you kind of see the lights turn on it's just yeah i mean it's great acting he's you know we just have to accept that jeff Goldblum is capable of of this yeah writing computer code to affect an alien's computer system yeah exactly i mean yeah you have to suspend disbelief a little bit but um yeah even even kind of you know three quarters deep into a bottle of uh of rum he's you know yeah yeah, and so now he demonstrates this concept for everybody. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they, they, he puts a, a soda so can, can on the thing and says, you know, shoot it. He shoots it. Of course, yeah. ricochets off and nearly kills yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. Then he activates the virus and deactivates the shield. And now they can yeah. shoot the soda can. Super cool scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Secretary of Defense, once again, is skeptical that this will work. He, he wanted to nuke the aliens. He wanted to do this and that. But... Um, you know, this plan that actually might work. No, that's a step too far. He's he, he's not on board. Also, yeah. two yeah. days into this invasion, yeah. what else you got? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, what, what's yeah, what's the risk at this point? You're going to just, uh, I don't know, go go hide in, in, you know, inside this mountain and hope, you know, hope they don't find you. I mean, yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously, I mean, he's that meant to. Yeah, war of the yeah, war, yeah exactly. Yeah, he, he's meant to be the foil. So he he's skeptical, but. You know, we don't even know if this spaceship is capable of flying. And then um, Jeff Goldblum, you know, knows that it is somehow. And, you know, they've released the, the thing. And then you get the, like, triumphant music as the as the spaceship floats. So, right. yeah, very cool setup. So, yeah, very lucky that they, could, they have a working craft have, and yeah. they have this working virus. Uh, Rebhorn is fired. And so the plan is now, here's what we need to do. We need to get this signal this virus to the mothership mm-hmm. um we we can upload it it will disable their shields for some chunk of time but not very long mm-hmm. but in that time everyone around the world has to scramble and attack while the shields are down I'm, I'm sorry i don't understand just how exactly do we infect the mothership with this virus we're uh, we're gonna uh have to um, fly their alien craft out of our atmosphere and dock with it. We can enter here, uh, as shown in the satellite photos. We then upload the virus. We then set off some kind of uh, explosion, which will disable it, and that'll disorient the smaller ships below, and that could buy it, I think, at least some time to uh, to take them, take them out, take them down, do your, do your stuff. This is ridiculous. How long will the shields be down? Uh, I don't know, a matter of minutes. You want us to coordinate a massive worldwide counter-strike with a window of only a few minutes? The shield's down, that might be possible. Oh, please. We don't have the manpower or the resources to launch that kind of a campaign. Not to mention that this whole cockamamie plan is dependent on a machine that no one in this world is qualified to operate. I wouldn't say that, sir. I've seen these things in action, and I'm well aware of their maneuvering capabilities. With your permission, General, I'd like the opportunity to try. That thing is a wreck. Crash landed back in the 50s. We don't even know if it's capable of flying. Jim, uh, remove the clamps. 
Um, so we, again, we do the like round the world stuff. Mm-hmm. We see like people in various parts of mm-hmm. the world, especially Iraq. Yeah, um, and I like this like British guy like oh the Americans are getting involved. Bloody good. It's about damn about bloody time. Yeah. Well, what have you been doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean. Um, and then yeah, no, it's it's a cool scene. The Morse code aspect is is like a nice touch. Yes, and the then yeah, and, and then they like they, the, this movie is great is is very well scored. You know, like dun 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 dun, and then they go to Russia and it's like a very like kind of Russian tinge. And yeah, then they, they go to Japan. Yeah, yeah, country, it's a good matches. matches. Yeah. So, you know, very cool scene to kind of set up. And, you know, it, within three minutes, you understand the plan. It's it's in motion and everything is going. Um, and I, I think most importantly to kind of this whole scene, I think this is where Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith finally meet the two kind of ostensible kind of main stars in this larger ensemble. And that's where the magic happens. Anytime those two are interacting is, is... Yeah. It's gold. And this is, and they, like I said, we don't, they don't get to interact until like the last yes. fourth or, of the yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, and we get Russ is now um, amongst the people being recruited because we find mm. we're, we're short on pilots to pull this off. So yeah. I think he says, I'm fly, I'm, I'm a pilot. pilot. I'm Not fly. I'm a pilot, yeah. I'm a pilot. He's drunk. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit, you know, drunk, has a little bit of an accent. They don't seem to, Adam Baldwin, who is, you know, also the, the trainer for this uh um, for for these for these fighter pilots, these new fighter pilots, doesn't seem too concerned about it. Um, and yeah, uh, they they give him some coffee, and he he's good to go. Yep. Uh, and there, and so Robert Loja explains how the nuke works to Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. Basically, says you you know you trigger this thing, you got thirty seconds before it goes off. Yeah. And they're like, ah, oh, we'll be well on our way to Earth you know, yeah. before we launch this thing. So and you, you immediately know that that's not going to be the case because um, that's how movies work. work. Yeah, that's how movies work. Yeah. Um, yep. Chekhov's um, nuke. So we get this quick scene of um, uh, Will Smith and Vivica Fox getting married mm-hmm. at the Area 51 chapel. Yeah. I guess they have one there, too. They have a hospital and a chapel. Yep. Uh, and uh, so that's it. Uh, we get Jeff Goldblum kind of eyeing his own ring, and mm-hmm. so does the press secretary. Yeah. Um, uh, and so they... Uh, now we get to the the big monologue here. This, this monologue from Bill Pullman to rally the troops. Um, I'll put this up there with... I don't think there's been a monologue this patriotic... In movies, yeah. since Rocky Balboa wins the Cold War, War at the end yeah. of Rocky Four. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That. Words should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. 
But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. If I can change, and you can know that's not the right one, but um, yeah, no, it, yeah. I mean, I used to have the speech memorized. I still once it started playing, it, 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 you know, all the beats are there. It's an amazing speech. Um, it is. I think the setting for it's right. You know, it's, it's not a speech to a hundred thousand people, uh, um, uh, uh, like in front of the Capitol building. It is maybe a hundred fighter pilots. He's using, you know, a pretty rudimentary microphone but um but yeah this is um this is the speech this is i think um one of the kind of enduring things in this um from this movie um i remember one of my my friends was 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 telling me at some point that bill pullman got a um an honorary degree at his college so he was speaking at the commencement and like all of like the entire student body was just it was like screaming this speech at him while he was giving his speech like i think this is what Bill Pullman is known known for, even though you know he's had a thirty years or more career. Yeah, we, I mean, we used to play an improv game uh, called Oscar winning moment. Yeah, where you know uh, someone whoever was hosting yeah. in the middle of the scene would go, you know, Doug, this is your Oscar winning moment, mm-hmm. and someone on lights and sound, yeah. all of a sudden they'd hit you with a spotlight, yeah. and this dramatic music would play, yeah. and you would have to, it, regardless yeah. of what was happening in the scene, mm-hmm. deliver a monologue that matched the tone of the music. Th- this reminds me of that. And what was really funny is I learned that at the very end where he says, you know, today we celebrate mm-hmm. our Independence Day, that was sort of improvised mm-hmm. because they weren't going to call, I think for some legal reason, they couldn't call the movie Independence Day and they worked it out. Yeah. But they had him say this on the on the hope that like yeah we'll we'll be able to sell this we got to call it yeah. Independence Day yeah we want to we want yeah I mean because otherwise you can't you don't release it on Independence Day maybe it doesn't you know do as well but yeah I mean all of it played together but uh, yeah I didn't know that it had been improvised that that's pretty funny but yeah I mean I think well, not the whole thing oh you just the the end the, yeah today we celebrate our Independence Day mm-hmm. yeah I mean I, I don't know how you end the speech without that because I mean name of the movie right there in the speech. Um, yeah, it all kind of plays together with the release date and just, yeah, it, it, it's kind of, it kind of Kesmet like a and little you've bit. you already established this is, it is July 4th, 4th yeah. in the world of the movie, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and then he tells Robert Loja he's going to go fly a plane himself because they're yep. short on pilots and they need him, which, yeah. uh, I guess technically there's nothing he, they can do to stop him because he's, he's the commander in chief, yeah. Them, but also stupid idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like once again, your life is more valuable um, than the contributions you can make as a fire, fighter pilot. But, um, but yeah, once again, shows his bravery and shows that, yeah, he's maybe not the best president, but is, you know, he's a very a brave, he's a good pilot, brave, all of that, you know, willing to put his life on the line. So, yeah, it's, it's his heroic moment. Um, and, yeah, I yeah. think it, it keeps him, you know, in, involved in the movie versus just kind of standing and watching. Yeah, and now we get the goodbye. Uh, for, you know, Will Smith and uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum are saying goodbye to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judd Hirsch gives him some barf bags. Yeah, we establish he gets airsick, and uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum gives him a yarmulke and uh, a Hebrew Bible, which don't know where he's been keeping those or where they came from. But apparently, he got like he he sent uh, his his uh, DoorDasher out to get it. Yeah, he, someone else handed it to him, so someone was able to procure. Uh, maybe they have a synagogue at Area 51, too. In we don't know. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting for um, yeah a lot of a lot of you know Judaism kind of in this movie between Jeff Goldblum and his father and Harvey uh, Firestein um, and, and Firestone. Wait, Firestein. Firestein. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is just kind of kind of part of that. I mean, earlier he talks about how he lost faith when when his wife died. Um, but um, but yeah, like I think this is just kind of more, you know, this character finding finding his his faith a little bit, which is just like a very minor beat. But um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, effective scene. Yeah. And it'll set up some funny stuff. Yeah, later. yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Gym, I think uh, that's the yeah, that's the. <laughs> The, the the main point of it they yeah they definitely you know like to to, to throw in some some kind of mm-hmm. Jew, jewish humor throughout yeah and now we get two more movie references back to back where they they get in the alien craft yeah. jeff goldblum boots up his laptop in a town 9000 yeah, yeah. to greet him mm-hmm. you know? uh which I, other than it being a famous sci-fi movie i don't know that there's too much of a connection between these yeah, the, the movies yeah like yeah um, the next one is uh russ gets in the cockpit he almost launches his nukes yeah. accidentally and says, I picked the wrong day to quit drinking, yeah. referencing airplane. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting to see that show up. Um, and then we, we get a bunch of uh, one-liners and jokey stuff between mm-hmm. Will Smith and um, Jeff Goldblum as they take off. Yeah. This guy in this thing, and about, you know, what's the deal? Oops. Shaky, huh? I was going to do this the whole way. Let's make sure your seat bags and tray tables are in their upright and locked position. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, oops. Yeah, no more oops. That away. And then yeah. Um yeah, the, the the plane flies. Will Smith, you know, the joy on his face is palpable. Jeff Goldblum is like get me off of this ship and yeah this is yeah the 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 banter and the chemistry between these two is i you know one of the main things that makes the the kind of back quarter of this movie so so phenomenal yeah it's a shame they never did anything together again Again, yeah exactly really really good i yeah they are like a perfect pairing of kind of temperament um they're both charismatic as hell in different ways and yeah i mean i they're the best part of this movie in my opinion um and yeah, just this pairing really, really, really works. Yep. Uh, so we find out uh, the aliens are headed towards Area 51, mm-hmm. and they'll be there in 26 minutes, which I didn't check if that actually tracks with yeah. the actual timing of the movie. The movie but yeah. It probably does. Yeah. Um, and so we get the, they're, they're in orbit, they're approaching the, the giant mothership, mm-hmm. and they are caught in a tractor beam. Literally referencing Star yeah, Wars as yeah. explicitly as you can. Yeah, as they are pulled into the inside of the the ship, and David says he anticipated this. How I don't you know. know. Yeah, from watching Star Wars, probably. Yeah, I guess. Um, so we have kind of the 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 fighters are now approaching the uh, the smaller the fifteen mile wide saucer that's approaching Area Fifty One. Uh, so we're kind of cutting back in between the fighters yeah. on Earth and then our pair heading into the mothership and we get the like into the belly of the beast stuff as they zoom into this triangular shaped yeah. aperture into this like foggy blue yeah. interior of this thing which is cool like it you know every yeah. time you get asked to design an alien ship 
somewhere someone goes like, oh man, how do we do something people haven't seen. seen before? Yeah, a lot of yeah, you, you'd expect it to be super sleek and like you know Star Wars that you know everything is shiny and like um, kind of very open, and this is just murky and dark, and there's tower like pillars that you know we don't know what they're for, but you know this is I, I I'm it's assuming threatening as fuck. it's threatening. And you assume the producers have thought about this and, you know, kind of had discussions about, like, what would this alien, you know, ship look like? This is where they live. They, their whole society lives here. So, like, how, how does that all play out? So, you know, it's definitely a um, kind of fearsome environment. The, you know, it's a, it's a great shot where they, they show the triangle on the ship that, um, and it's tiny. And then all of a sudden you see the spaceship going through it. And it's just this massive, just to show the sheer kind of magnitude of this mothership yeah the sense of scale is great yeah, yeah. Um, we see that shot of like all the alien like shock troops all lined yeah. up we assume mm-hmm. that they'll be eventually unleashed on everybody on yes yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Goldblum I think yeah, he says there must be thousands of them millions of them what the hell are they doing and Will Smith says looks like they're planning an invasion and like you know just a throwaway line but you know it's it's true you know and there's almost something scarier about these things coming down down to and, earth yeah and running around because we've seen what the one did in the lab yeah. even though they have a laser that blows up entire cities, cities like having these things yeah. chase you around would be equally yeah. scary well yeah because like yeah you can you can you can destroy every city but you know people are going to flee they're going to hide out they're going to go into sparsely populated areas so you need you need your ground troops to then go in and you know clean up the mess so you know I think that's the the next phase of their plan yeah um, it definitely has like an underwater aesthetic somewhat. Yeah. I feel like this would come back later in things like The Matrix and uh, mm-hmm. more recently Arrival. Yeah. Like there's that idea of like if we use these underwater forms, they will feel more alien. Mm-hmm. Definitely they do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but they end up docking at this spot and they like can close these you know, basically uh, giant metal window shades. Yeah. So the alien guy working, you know, air traffic control. Yeah, I, I was about to say, them. yeah, like a bad day for him. He probably just wants to go home and, and, and watch some alien TV and he's he's caught in this uh, in this mess, like, you know, this middle manager alien. It's 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 pretty, um, you know, it's it's pretty funny, um, this whole scene. Um, you know, Jeff Goldblum is very calm given his character. He's like, um, you know the windows open and then they're getting closer, they're getting closer. He's like, oh, now I'll now I'll shut the now I'll shut the blind so they can't see us. So, um, you know, keeping it casual given the the stakes. But yep. um, they, they upload the virus successfully. No, yeah. no, no hitches. Yeah. Um, the planes fire off one missile which yeah. hits the force field and they all are like, oh, well, oh Mark, let's go home. But President Whitmore says, yeah. I want another a shot, shot at him. Yeah. And it detonates. You know, it goes through the shields and hits. And now it's, you know, um, you know, end of Return of the Jedi just yeah. ships everywhere. Yeah, Cluster. yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's a, it's another really strong aerial battle. I mean, uh, Roland Emmerich does this really well in both of the kind of main action sequences of this movie. And this time it's a fair fight. I mean, I think it's like that very much that duality between the first time total route. We have no chance. Second time humanity is kind of on equal footing or at least closer and we're, you know, we're able to kind of use our, you know, bravery and ingenuity and, and whatnot to, 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 you know, do some damage. Yeah. Um, and this is actually um, one thing I noticed, which I had never really thought about before. They, um, uh, um, you know, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum are, are in the spaceship. They're cutting back and forth. You know, it's just like the rest of the movie. Quick cut, quick cut. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, 
uh, they open the window. Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith hide, and they go to they go back to the to to the battle on Earth for maybe five or ten minutes. Like they kind of stop cutting back and forth, and they kind of do one climax and then the other. So it's a good, it's just an interesting choice for a director that is maybe not the most um, nuanced in a kind of his overall body of work. Was like, but it was just like a, like an interesting decision. To say like we're gonna let this whole battle play out uh, uh, on Earth above Area 51, and then we're gonna go and show the resolution of of kind of Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum and what what's going on in the mothership. They do so, this in uh, Return of the King version. Oh, oh yeah. You know, think of something like that where you know you have a whole bunch of like basically yeah. climactic shit happen, and then yeah. it's like, oh right, Frodo and Sam. Yeah. Um, let's get back to them and throwing mm-hmm. the ring in the fire. Um, and that's sort of what we have here. Mm-hmm. It's basically the space version of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a really well choreographed dogfight. It's great. Uh, you get that moment where you cut to Julius praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, yeah. I think it was James Reverend says, I'm not Jewish. Nobody's, Nobody's perfect. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. Um, and, but we find out they're running out of missiles because they're, they're blowing up, but this thing is so huge. They're yeah. not doing enough damage. And it's going to open its big blue laser yeah. and blow up Area 51. Uh, and now they're literally out of missiles. So what are we going to do? But in comes Randy Quaid. He's got one missile left mm-hmm. uh, because Whitmore's missile, like he fires it at the the aperture, but it's got these like um, sort of like honey, not, I don't know, not honeycomb, but like there's yeah, these yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, shields that go around the outside yeah. of the laser, and it doesn't go between them. It just hits one of these things mm-hmm. and does no damage. So you got to hit it. From yeah, underneath, yeah. Randy Quaid, you know, is, he's approaching. He asks the president to cover him, so mm. which he does, uh, keeping the aliens off of him. And he attempts to launch the nuke, but this thing malfunctions. It's armed, but it won't fire. So there's only one way to get this nuke into the ship, and that is for Randy Green. Quaid to fly to there himself. Do me a favor. Tell my children. I love them very much. All right, you alien assholes. In the words of my generation, up yours! Dad, what's he doing? Come on, baby. Come on, baby, come on. Good luck, buddy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's the heroic moment that's been building for this character. Um, it's oh, it's I've always wondered, you know, is his missile jamming because that's the missile that he almost accidentally f- fired off earlier in the movie? I assume, yes. I assume like, you know, that that caused the jam. But then, yeah, he looks at a picture of his kids. And once again, a callback to, you know, this character needed to have kids, someone that he cared about, even though he's a flawed person. Um, and then, yeah, you get the, you know, the inspiring music and, you know, just some iconic uh, Randy Quaid with um, Hello, boys, I'm back. Well, yeah, he, just with that with face. Will yeah. Smith before they give yeah. him two lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, well, like he, says, he tells the aliens of yours. yours. Yeah. Then he gives the Hello, the, boys, I'm back. Yeah. And blows them up. And that nuke to the bottom of the thing did, yeah. blows up the entire thing. And now we know how to take them out. So the message goes That's out around the world. world. Here's how you blow them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that the word is being spread. 
and so now we finally, as we get, we finished that climax. We cut back to uh, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith inside the alien ship, going, "Okay, well, time to blow up this." Thing. Only one last thing to do. Yeah. So, I mean, once again, a hilarious scene where you know, you know, they 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 pop up. They've been hiding in the back of the ship because the. Uh, the alien had kind of manually uh, opened opened the window, and then you know they, they they start you know setting off the nuke, and they're like you know smiling at the alien. Hey, what's up? Peace and love to you. Um, just you know, um, you know once again, just uh, great comedic timing between the two, and then nuke goes off. You know, pops right through middle manager uh, fl- uh, air traffic control alien, and they're off. Yeah, well, they think they're not going to be able to escape. They're, yeah, their first exactly. scene of them exactly. acting like this is this is the end. We yeah. die here. Yeah, because um, they're they're attached to the ship like right. in that that clamp, right? Right. Yeah. But when they launch the new the, the clamp releases and they yeah. realize, oh shit, shit we've we got to go. Less than thirty seconds to go yeah. now, and so yeah. the the again Return of the Jedi yeah. ending where they have to fly, fly out, out of the yeah. thing as it's about to blow up, which yeah. they succeed in doing. Although I do like that the sh- this time the shockwave of it does yeah. catch up with them. Yeah. You see in so many, even earlier in this movie where somebody no. outruns a shockwave in yeah. a conventional vehicle. Yeah, whole, you're like, yeah. really? Oh, not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But here, no, they um, don't outrun it. They get caught up in the explosion and they have to crash land on Earth. Earth. Yeah. I mean, and once again, just the, the that, that whole scene, it's only pr- whatever, 20 seconds, but him flying out of the spaceship, there's aliens, you know, chasing him there's in, in their spacecraft. You see some weird other alien crafts kind of floating around, so you get more of the environment. Um, but yeah, the 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 banter between the two of them, um, uh, Will Smith stops IFC driving, uh, Jeff Goldblum, oh I took that hit, I took that hit. Will Will Smith's like shut up, shut up, shut up. Like just like the back and forth is is phenomenal. And um, Jeff Goldblum brings back the Jurassic Park, must go faster, must go faster, must go faster. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, there's just yeah. A plus scene. Um, the the yeah, the two of them uh, escaping is, um, you know, like a really awesome climax. You get the classic, uh, you know, the 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 ship is closing around them. They can barely make it out. And then yeah, you, like you said, the the shockwave um, is a. Um, it was interesting. I always wondered if the shockwave hits them exactly as they're entering the atmosphere and that's like where the fire is coming from or is the shockwave just hitting them and then like jostling them and then they're kind of getting back into the Earth's atmosphere. I, you know, I'm no way to know, but like either way, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a cool scene because the show is like, yeah, they're, they're not outrunning the nuclear explosion. No, they're just surviving. It. Yeah. Um, because we get our denouement now, we get you know, yeah. Whitmore lands. He's a hero. Everyone's cheering for yeah. him. There's concern of like yeah. whatever happened. You know, yeah. Did they die? What happened yeah. to them? But you know they they've crashed out in the desert, and the people go out to meet them. We yeah. have a cheerful reunion between all our surviving characters. Yeah. And it's pointed out that hey, we brought you fireworks for the Fourth of July. July, and as all of these alien things are yeah. you know, falling and blowing up in the atmosphere. Uh, end of movie. Yeah. End of movie. Yeah. Um, we we didn't even mention this earlier. Bill Pullman and, and Jeff Goldblum's characters hate each other. Um, and then by the end of the movie, they made up. Everyone's happy. And yeah, end of movie. Great movie. Um, the movie starts fast and, you know, ends pretty abruptly. And it's still two and a half hours long, but it's kind of balls to the wall entertainment kind of all the way throughout. Yeah, it it does, it, 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 there's no there's no lag. Yeah. It, yeah, it goes quick. I mean, watching it um, the other day, it was. Yeah, it, 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 it's it, it, it. You kind of blow through it. It's not like this kind of meandering movie. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes that made it so popular at the time is, you know, 
it, it was digestible for kind of any audience above a certain age. Yeah, I did, certainly did not remember it being two and a half hours yeah. long. I, when I saw that and I was like ready to watch, I'm like, geez, it's yeah. pretty long. But yeah, it, my memory of it was you know, confirmed. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, geez, we're just moving from scene to scene to yeah. scene to scene to character to character. And that that's what I think really helps is you don't have time to stop and breathe yeah. and kind of... Uh, you know, think too hard or worry too much. Like this, yeah. this is the a popcorn flick mm-hmm. in every sense, sense of the word. Yeah. yeah, of the word. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's it, it's a very you know it, like like I said earlier, a meaningful movie to me, a very um, important movie in the sense that it does kind of bring back disaster movie. Uh, you, you, I think you said it. Michael Bay maybe doesn't happen without this movie, um, and you if you compare it to some of the the like the the best action movies of the the few years before and the few years after you can kind of see that the that the scale of it has maybe changed a bit um you know terminator 2 is a little bit of a small i mean obviously the stakes are huge but you know it really is a story about you know one terminator trying to 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 kill one kid and jurassic park kind of takes place on this island but then you get to this is global this is global you get to armageddon you get to the matrix you get to um even though they made a world war of the worlds movie you know um not not too long after with tom cruise so i think this kind of upped the ante on kind of those summer action disaster movies um and i think that's one of the kind of lasting influences of 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 this one yeah and so that kind of brings me to the the question we ask at the end of the podcast is what you know why do you think people still do love independence day so much when you've we've talked about a lot of these other movies but like when was the last time you heard someone talking about dante's peak yeah exactly yeah or volcano or whatever yeah i mean i I think it's because it was the first i mean I, i i think people talk about this movie probably mainly because of will smith and also because of the kind of the phenomenon that that this movie was it was an incredibly high grossing movie it was um kind of a a pivot point in the mid 90s as far as kind of what action and sci-fi and kind of summer blockbusters could be but um but yeah i think the main thing is this movie is probably more than anything launched will smith from you know potential star to super mega star biggest movie star in the world potentially and I think that's the kind of most lasting legacy of it. Yeah, I think this movie has kind of stood the test of time because all the all those other movies that came later you know, really do try to imitate it. But yeah. the, as we talked about, this is a global movie. Yeah. And it's hard to go bigger than that. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, there are other smaller scale action movies that are yeah. great. I think Speed, yeah. right? Yeah. Something from this era. Um, but at all those other movies that try to do a, a large scale disaster, mm. it's like you've already you've already topped it with yeah. this. You can't go any bigger than than this movie does, and does it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of memorable sequences, a lot of really funny lines, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of really great performances. Even though you know, if you're being you know honest, yes, this dialogue is up and stupid. There's yeah. plot elements that you know clearly yeah. have to suspend your disbelief real hard, um, but. Yeah. There's something like super entertaining about this that you know the, not very many big blockbuster popcorn movies do this mm-hmm. in, like this tone, in this flavor, this well. There are plenty of great action movies that came before it and after it, but none of the ones that were done in this mold ever worked yeah. as well as even Roland Emmerich's oh. own movies. Oh yeah, never none of them well worked. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the timing of it is is crucial as well. Um, I think this is probably the best 
time and kind of our lifetimes for um, for doing a movie like this because you go from the kind of existential dread of the Cold War and potential nuclear, you know, apocalypse to kind of now in our, you know, kind of our current times, there are there are legitimate fears about, um, you know, various things kind of on this global scale. But in the 90s, it was kind of this kind of interregnum between them. So I think you could do a movie um, that had the stakes of destroying the world, of potential aliens destroying the world, but also didn't have to feel weighty in any way. It could just be popcorn entertainment. I don't think you could do this movie now without really interrogating some aspect um, at a deeper level, whereas this is just aliens want to kill us. We have to fight back. And that it doesn't go deeper than that. And the only things that really elevated above that are the kind of production value, um, the scale and the cast. Um, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I think, yeah, the proof of something like that is the Spielberg War of the World, yeah. which is essentially the same story, but yeah. they don't tell it the same gonzo yeah. way. Um, you know, especially that movie coming out much closer to 9-11. yeah. You don't get a lot of monument destruction Dershin, yeah. for that reason. You know, um, it, it's it's a different... Um, that, yeah. They, they changed... Spielberg changed the approach for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from yeah. something like this. So, yeah, this is really, is, as you said, it's, it's, I will say it's one of a kind, but it's the best of its kind. Yeah, 100% the best of its kind. And, um, yeah, thinking about this movie, I was, you know, I'm like... I love this movie. Do I, you know, watching it, you know, for the for the 15th time after, you know, so many years not watching it, do I like it as much as I used to? Maybe not. I, I can see some of the seams and the flaws and the, like, kind of the schlockiness of certain parts of it. But, yeah, no, I, I love this movie for, for kind of everything we talked about of, um, you know, at this specific point in time in my life and just in kind of our society. Like, this movie... It, it was perfect for its time, and it. I think it has stood up in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I think that is a, a great place to leave it. Yeah. Um, Matt, do you have anything you want to plug before we uh, call I it? I have literally nothing to plug. I have no social media, no anything. So I'm just here because I love Independence Day, and I appreciate you uh, inviting me to come on. Well, we're glad you did it. Uh, this, this is a great uh, discussion, and uh, if you have thoughts of course on our podcast uh, all the links to our social portals are just in the show notes rather than me just listing them off you know what social media sites are out there and you can see where we are in each of them um, I will mention that we I post bonus stuff uh, bonus reels on Instagram specifically and also a bunch of goofy just bullshit with me doing impressions on TikTok uh, so you can go to Nostalgia Marcan in there and see that um, if uh, one thing you can do that really helps the show out of course is drop a review so you know go wherever you found it and do that it takes you you know 20 seconds to say something nice um but that really helps the visibility and you know adjust the algorithm in our favor uh so do that and of course you know tell friends and things like that yeah. too uh to to listen to it here's what we have in the works because i'm recording a whole bunch of stuff because we're it's close to christmas and i don't know what's going to come out when so here's what's in the mix right now um for christmas we released batman returns uh if i've gotten my shit together on new year's day you heard ghostbusters and then so in the mix is this one um we're doing one on matchbox 20 Crash Bandicoot, uh, rescheduled that recording, and uh, Mitch Hedberg, and A League of Their Own. So all those things are in the mix. I just don't know in what order you're going to hear them. So <laughs> uh, look forward to those or you already enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. So, um, But that's it. Um, so, Matt, that, man, thanks again for coming on and doing this. This was, this was a treat. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So all thanks right. so much. Appreciate sure. it. Ah, so uh, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Art Camp. Let freedom ring. Let the white dove.
big year. Big year for Pullman. Get to host the Saturday Night Live show, and I play the President of the United States of America. Yeah. I've been fortunate. I've played a lot of different characters and a lot of different movies, especially romantic comedies. But once in a while, you want to play a guy who kicks some ass. And that's why I did Casper. <laughs> but when you play the President of the United States, who saves the world from an alien attack, you get a whole new level of respect. And uh, apparently, it even makes you appear sexier. Because now, this week, this week, someone told me that I was named one of the top 10 sexiest men of the year by Playgirl magazine. <laughs> I, you know what that means. Men find me attractive. 